Open your Bibles, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Gosh, it's been, so, it's been so good tonight. I almost feel like uh, there's nothing to add, nothing to do. But let's look to God's word. There's a good word tonight for us. Philippians chapter 1. Man, I, I really love Philippians. I love this morning. I didn't know we had so many dance critics in the congregation, actually. Uh, like to see you do it, actually. Uh, no, I, I really love, I love verse 19, and that's a new insight for me. I, I love the idea of the Holy Spirit who choreographs uh, our lives. We, we look at our lives, and it seems so random. We, we run into people, we cross paths. It, it seems like there's no uh, design, no plan, but, but we have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, Paul says, who, who literally choreographs everything. When we stay in step with the Holy Spirit, our lives are a part of a grand production. We, we have no idea, have no idea literally what, what Christ uh, what the Spirit is doing with us. I, I remind you that the church at Philippians, this is a small place, probably met in, in the home of a woman named Lydia, uh, probably made up of a guy who used to work as a jailer at the, uh, at the Philippian prison. I mean, you understand the story. Probably had a formerly lunatic, demon-possessed slave girl fortune teller. You understand? These are the people that came to Christ when Paul preached there. And they formed the church, an odd bunch of people that, that only the Spirit could bring together. But that church at Philippi was uh, the very first church on the whole continent of Europe. And everything, everything that has happened for the gospel since then goes back to, to these people. They couldn't have seen that. They couldn't have known how the Holy Spirit was choreographing the advance of the gospel right through their church. But, uh, but truly, that's what, that's what happened. <coughs> Let's pick up right where we left off. Remember, Paul's just said, I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Christ Jesus choreographs my life, helps me, this will work out for my deliverance. Okay? That's where we left off, verse 19. Let's pick up at verse 20. I want you to listen to these 10 verses, the, the, this passage, 20 through 30, and then I'm going to ask you in a second, of all the things Paul says, which of these verses, which statements would sound really, really odd to a non-believer? Which of these things that Paul says could a non-believer never understand? Start with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. This, this is powerful. I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me... Living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I'll remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again... You will have even more reason to take pride in, in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the gospel, the, the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. 
This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We're in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the middle of it. Okay, ten verses. Which of those statements, which verse would sound most crazy to somebody who, who really doesn't know Christ? Yeah, it, it's a privilege to suffer. Even for some of you in this place tonight, some of you who've walked with Christ for years, that statement that it's a privilege to suffer for Christ, that probably sounds strange to you. Uh, and there's a strangeness to it if you don't understand the gospel. It's a privilege to suffer. What else? What else would just sound strange? Yeah, to, to live is Christ. For me, living means living for Christ. We'll talk about that more in a moment. That's not the way the world thinks about life. That's not what to live is for them. But for us, truly, to live is to live for Christ. What else? And to die is even better. Yeah. Paul, talking about death here, and understand, he, he is in Roman prison. He, he very well could face execution, and, and he knows that. But he says he's torn between the two. I don't know where I'd rather do it. I'd love to die. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'd love to die, but, but you know, okay, maybe living's good too. Yeah. Such amazing peace and courage in, in the face of death. What else? What else do you hear? What, do you, what else do you see? Okay, let's go back. I, I talked about this morning, but what are his present circumstances? Review those together. Where is he? Why is he there? What is he doing? Yeah, he's in, under Roman house arrest. The, the fact that he's a Roman citizen changed the course of events for him. And again, read the book of Acts and you'll, you'll catch the story. They were about to seize Paul and, and literally just kill him on the spot. But he said, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't simply treat a Roman citizen this way. And in the Roman Empire, there were lots of colonies and lots of uh, territories that were taken in. But that didn't necessarily make all of those people Roman citizens. But Paul is a citizen of Rome, and therefore he has rights, civil rights that others don't necessarily have. And among those is the basic right to appeal to the Emperor Caesar himself. And that's what Paul has done. Now, what are his charges? What's he arrested for? Do you remember that? It really wasn't the slave girl thing. That was back in Philippi, but honestly, he lived through that. Uh, they sang, the earthquake, the jail fell down, and, and, and they left. He got out of jail free that time. When was he finally arrested, and what is the arrest that leads him into Roman prison now? Do you remember that? It's also a trumped-up charge. you remember Book of Acts? Your Sunday school teachers would be so disappointed. There was an accusation that, that Paul had brought a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple, that he had allowed an uncircumcised Gentile to enter the temple, that Paul had brought him in, and that, of course, is detestable to the Jews. So, it, it, indeed, it's a trumped-up kind of charge. It's not fair. It's not just. It has nothing to do with anything that he should be put to death for. So, honestly, Paul has every reason in the world to be bitter, all he wants to do is preach the gospel, and yet here he is chained in a house to a, to a different Roman soldier every 12 hours. Every reason in the world to be frustrated. And honestly, if you're a preacher like Paul, it seems like God would just turn you loose. 
I mean, if I were God and I had Paul at my disposal, I would be giving Paul a television ministry. You understand? I would want as many people as possible to be hearing Paul preach. But Paul apparently just goes from jail to jail, and the best he can do is scratch out a letter. If I were Paul, I'd be so frustrated, so frustrated. But he's not frustrated. He's not complaining that he's truly an innocent man about to face perhaps execution for for false charges. He's not even bringing that up. He has this amazing attitude and an amazing courage. Where does it come from? How does Paul decide whether or not a situation is good or bad? We talked about it this morning. How does he decide? Yeah, whether or not it advances the gospel. If it's good for the gospel... Okay, Paul would do better in in front of perhaps an audience of thousands, but all he's got is one Roman soldier at a time. And he thanks God for that. He says, you know what, the whole palace guard has now heard about Jesus, and it's literally true, one after another. But do you know who the palace guard is? These are the Roman emperor's personal bodyguards, and there were a number of them. But these are the the finest men in the entire Roman Empire. These are men who would serve the emperor for a very short time, and then every single one of them will go on to influential careers in politics. So understand, one at a time, they get chained to Paul for 12 hours. Paul preaches Christ to them, and then the next one comes. It's amazing how God is going to use these circumstances. And and Paul recognizes that. He fully understands that his circumstances advance the gospel. Okay, I understand that. But where does his courage come from? He could face death. He has nothing to fear. Well, neither do I, honestly. But have you ever done that thing where you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear a noise and you think, oh my goodness, what is that? What is that? It's an axe murderer. Yeah. And I don't have any guns in my house. I don't have anything I could use for a weapon. So I later think, okay, okay, somebody's coming in and going to kill me and Casey. What, what, what do I have that I can hit them with? You know, and honestly, the answer is nothing. If, if you want to get me, just come on. Just come on. I, there's nothing. I'm in a shoe. Um, you ever done that? You just like to think, oh my, and you can just get, you can get carried away with fear. And that's just a noise outside. I mean, honestly, I've rarely in my life had a moment where the fear w- would have been called for. But, but Paul is in a situation where, where his fear could be real. He, he could be executed. And it doesn't sound like he is at this point, but, but one day soon he will be. He's going to have his head cut off. Do you know that? He's going to die for Christ. If not this time, then, then the next time he will. But, but there's this tremendous courage. Donna says it comes from the fact that he has nothing to fear. Where does that kind of courage come from? You remember back, was it January? There was the, uh, the, uh, uh, the wreck of that gigantic luxury liner called the, uh, was it the, the Concordia? You remember that? Seen on the news? Uh, that crazy skipper, the captain of that ship, uh, ran that ship just right, right up on the rocks, just ran it right up on the bank, and the ship was sinking. And then what did that captain do? He abandoned ship. Now, now I don't know a lot about what it means to be the, the captain of a ship, but I know one thing, that the, the captain always, he always goes down with the ship. 
that the captain is always supposed to go down with the ship. You do not abandon ship when you have passengers, when you have crew. The captain should be the very last person to leave the ship. But apparently, this skipper was different. He left. He left. And he faced worldwide criticism for leaving. And then he defended himself. What did he say? Did y'all hear his interview? He fell in that lifeboat. Yeah. It's amazing. He just sort of, oh, 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 and he fell in a lifeboat. Yeah, he, he fell in it. Yeah. What do you think about him? What do you think about a coward like that? I mean, it's really easy to judge him, but I have a feeling some of us would be falling in lifeboats too. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, oh, man, I fell in this thing. Might as well stay. Yeah, it's interesting. Even in the world, even just as human beings, we, we don't have a lot of respect for cowards. We really do respect and admire courage. And Paul here is a man of courage. Now, courage has certain effects on other people. And notice what he says. He goes all the way back here, back to verse 15, back, with, back up with me. Um, verse 14, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Now, that's interesting. They see a man thrown in jail, and that gives them more courage. Explain that to me. I would think that if you see someone suffering for preaching Christ, that that would perhaps make you less likely to, to preach Christ. But apparently, that's not the effect. Can you explain that? Why would Paul's courage actually breed more courage in others how does that work yeah Dennis uses the example of maybe running a marathon running a race and you see somebody going by and they're just gutting it out they're sweating they're pushing and they're running and and you draw strength from their strength you begin to say if if she can do it I can do it too when I ran the Louisville Marathon there was an older lady who passed me at mile 23 and she had a hairdo y'all have heard me say this. she had a hairdo this was a grandma she had a hairdo, and she passed me at like mile 23. I wished I could have chased her. I, I was so tired, but I said, my goodness, if that lady, if that, that lady had calves, I mean, just like, I mean, a grandma, a grandma. Oh, my goodness. But when she went by, I thought, oh, Lord, I, I, I am not going to die out here on the street. If I have to drag my bones, if, if that lady can do it with her hairdo, I can do it. I, I can do it, too. Yeah. There's just something about the way that, that strength encourages strength. And courage breeds courage. Again, I'm not lifting up the five guys on mission. I guess I am. I think these guys are amazing. They are courageous. And honestly, there are men in our congregation right now thinking, man, I I'm going in March. There's just something about the fact that knowing that those guys are willing to do it, it just almost makes some of the rest of us want to do it too. 
when they see Paul glorifying Christ that way, and if they truly love Christ and know Christ too, then they want to glorify Christ that way too. And they begin to recognize that no matter what kind of price Paul pays, if Christ is lifted up like that, then they want to be a part of that. They want to be a part of Christ being lifted up that way. When you see a man like Paul who can just face death and and just not even care, no fear. If Christ is lifted up, I can die tomorrow. I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I might like to live, but oh, oh shoot, okay, I may live if I do live. Let's talk about that a minute. Is he sure or is he not sure? Because he says in verse 19, I, I know, I, I know that as you pray for me and the Holy Spirit choreographs my life, this is all going to lead to my deliverance. Matter of fact, I know I'm going to live unless I die. Is he sure or not sure? Because sometimes he sounds really sure. This is going to work out for my deliverance. Praise Jesus. It's going to be a God thing. Unless I die. Might die. Probably could. Might even be better. But I know I'll live. Unless I die. I mean, is he sure or not sure? Technically, he's living both ways. You should be a politician, Rhonda. That is such... What does that even mean, Rhonda? Yeah, death ain't nothing. That's nothing for a believer. He's going to live with Christ no matter what. He's living with Christ in this life. If he dies, he's going to live with Christ face to face. That's why he says, you know, that would be even better. I mean, when you're living for Christ to be face to face with him, that's even better. That, that, that's even better. So either way, he's with Christ, so he wins. Uh, that's amazing. Let, let, let's take it apart. Go back to this line. Verse 21. For to me, living means living for Christ. To live is Christ, is what he says literally, those, those four words. To live is Christ, and dying is is even better. To live as Christ, to die is, is gain. To live as Christ. Living means living for Christ. That's not how most people think. For, for most people, what does it mean to live? To live means to be born and, and raised in a family. To live means to go to school and have friends and have a really good time in high school. To live means to go to ball games and be in clubs. And to live means to have a a big screen TV and microwave popcorn. To to live means to to maybe get a really good job or go on to college. To live means to to have a car to drive to college and have a lot of friends and have a lot of fun. To to live means to uh, graduate with a degree and, and, and get a job. To live means to work in a job that you enjoy. To live means to get married for a lot of people. To live means to find somebody to love and spend your life together and grow old together. To live means to have children and maybe grandchildren. To live means to send your kids to college and then start going to Branson, you know, like twice a year. To live means to have enough money for retirement and and then live with good health and all of your teeth. Something like that. That's what most people think. To to live is is all of these worldly things. But, But Paul understand, has none of that. That's not his life. He he says to live 
is Christ. To live simply means to live for Christ. What would have to change in a lot of our lives in order for us to be able to say to live is Christ? But what would have to change? Because I don't know that that's really the truest thing that most of us could say, that, that for me to live is just living for Christ. We, we do a lot of living for ourselves, don't we? We do a lot of living for our families, for others. To live is Christ. What would have to change for that to be true for you? For me to live as Christ, to die is, is even better. How can you glorify God in dying? You ever thought about that? How, how, could, how can you glorify God in dying? If Paul dies in a Roman jail, his ministry ends. He'll never write another letter. He'll never plant another church. And it looks like the pagans win. How can he glorify God in his death? Yeah, Manisa's mother, uh, Ruth Montel, once told you that every single day we need to find our place on the cross of Christ. In, in the other words, we die to the world. We die to ourselves. We stop living for ourselves. We live for Christ. Every single day uh, we continue to put ourselves on the cross. It's not my agenda. It's, it's God's agenda. Yeah, even to death. Yeah, Donna. Absolutely. Yeah. And then afterwards, he had a couple of big strokes, and he's not going to have brain injury. So, as the Lord had been calling him to this trip, he had to leave. Yeah. Literally, whether he lives or whether he dies, he is the Lord's, and he's glorifying him. Yeah. Yeah, Gretchen. Yeah. Yeah, people came to Christ at her funeral. Yeah. Y'all remember... Um, I think it was 1988. They call it the worst drunken driver accident in the state of Kentucky. Do you remember what happened? Remember what that was? Yeah. Carrollton. Yeah, Carrollton, Kentucky. Uh, it was a church group. You know that, don't you? Uh, it was a bus that belonged, I believe, to First Assembly of God in uh, 
was it Radcliffe? First Assembly of God of, of Radcliffe. Um, there was a newspaper reporter, her name was uh, Niney Hammond. Uh, she wrote a story for this Southeast Outlook in, in Louisville. She covered that story on May 14th of 1988, the story of, of the bus crash. Um, Niney was, was not a Christian, not a believer, and, and she talked to some of the people who, who witnessed the accident, including some of the, the kids on the bus. Understand, these are, this is a youth trip, and they were on a bus, and, and a drunk driver hit the bus. And, and right up on impact, apparently, the gas tank exploded in flames. One of the stories that, that the surviving kids told, these are kids who lived through it, was about their, their youth minister whose name was Chuck Kaida, but all the kids called him Banana. I don't know why. The kids called him Banana. They loved him. And Chuck was, by all accounts, uh, a radiant, dynamic Christian young man, Chuck Kaida. that they say that um, the vehicle hit the bus and Chuck, their youth minister, was right behind the bus driver, so he was up, up front close. And on the impact, it just exploded into flames all around Chuck. All around Chuck, their youth minister. But they say that Chuck raised his hands with a smile on his face and said, Lord, I'm coming home. It was the last act of ministry um, in his life. He said, Lord, I'm coming home. And the kids who survived watched him in the fire with a smile on his face. Niney Hammond, the newspaper reporter who covered that story, was not a believer. And just hearing that, that, that somebody died that way, that, that somebody in the middle of the worst death imaginable had that kind of courage and that kind of peace just to smile and say, Lord, I'm coming home. Niney Hammond tells an amazing story of how she came to Christ. She came to Christ because of, because of Chuck Kaida. Because she said, if, if there's anybody who can face death like that, if, if there's any God in all the universe who can give that kind of assurance, if, if there is any spiritual truth that can be lived out in flames, then she wanted that. She wanted that. There are so many people by now who have come to Christ because of Chuck Kaida. Oh, it just breaks my heart that a young man would die that way and that and that young kids who loved him and called him banana would, would die with him that way or watch him die that way. 
but somehow there's so much glory for Christ in a man of such courage and, and faith. So much glory for Christ. I just want to live and die that way too. I want to live and die that way too. To live is to live for Christ. And if I die, I want to die for Christ. In whatever way the Lord chooses, in whatever way the Holy Spirit choreographs, I just pray that my death brings him glory too because death's not the end. Death's not the end. Paul says death in some ways is even better. He's like most of us. He says, you know, I just would love to just die and go be with the Lord, but I guess you people need me. That's what he says. Some of you say the same thing. Man, I just, if I could just die and go be with Jesus, but I guess I ought to hang around and get my kids through college. I probably ought to pick out my son's wife before I go. Uh, that's just Paul. I, I, I guess I should stay here for your sake. I'll hang around for you, you people, but, but I'm telling you, if, if I die, if I die, it's probably even better. This man did not live for himself. He lived for Christ. I'll ask you again, what would have to change in your life so that you could truly say that to live is Christ and, and to die would be even better? Faith. We have to have more faith. utter confidence and courage. Yeah. Paul actually already, yeah, sure. But Paul says, I, I die daily. That's what he says, I, I die daily. It's like mom says, like Ruth Montel said, you, you put yourself on the cross of Christ every single day. You just die with him and then the life you live is Christ living in you. Uh, and then whether you live or whether you die, you're the Lord's. Uh, we win. Uh, either way, with Christ we win. Uh, any, any final thoughts? Let's be dismissed. Don't forget that next week is coming home Sunday. This is going to be a great day, just a, a great day. Warren, can you give us any tips on how to maximize parking? Where's the best place to park now that all the best parking places are gone? Okay, this new gravel area does have a road so that we can circle around, but it also has parking places. So would we pull in a perpendicular to the fence here? Yeah, so you can park in this gravel here, pull in and, and park this way. Some of you guys might do that next week just to show others how to pull in beside you. We could, 
can park in the gravel. We have 31 places, like Baskin Robbins. We have 31 wonderful spaces across the street, and a walk right across the sidewalk and come in the front door. And then a, you guys are pretty good at making parking places everywhere else in the back. Next week will, will be a big Sunday for us. We're having three simultaneous worship venues. We're having an outdoor tent. Uh, it'll be in the front. It's going to be a big tent for those who want to be outside. Uh, great music planned out there. Andrew, what's the plan outside? Yeah, it'll be bluegrass outside, live bluegrass praise music outside. I'm going to preach outside in bluegrass. I'm going to preach outside first. Then I'm coming in here, and, and, and uh, we'll have music and worship inside as well. I'll preach second in here. The overflow will be going strong in the back with Aaron Talley. It, it's going to be a great morning. We're going to eat like we always eat. Uh, the pedal tractor pool with the kids this year will be over by the playground. Uh, I think an inflatable, and Nicole's got an inflatable coming. Uh, so kids area will be back there. There's a singing in the sanctuary after lunch. Yeah, Rich Pond Baptist Church has a wonderful family called the Garmins. They, they sing very, very well. A lot of us know them. They're friends of our church. They're going to be here after lunch and, and sing and worship with us in the afternoon here in the sanctuary. It's going to be a great day. Great, great day. Dress casually. If you've got a Woodburn Baptist Church t-shirt, wear, wear that. Uh, just dress to be outside. Dress to eat uh, on the ground or, or under the tent or in a chair. Just plan to fellowship. And it's going to be a great, great Lord's Day. It's going to be so good. Uh, any other words before we dismiss anything at all? Let's stand together then and, and have a final word of prayer. Drew Tingle, would you mind voicing our final prayer tonight, please, brother?